Listening to the Taming Hinges podcast, conversations about self-awareness and mental health. We talk about anything and everything on the podcast. Real experiences, real life. Come get triggered. Welcome to another episode of the Taming Hindrances podcast. As always, my name is Phil. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today's episode is about body, particularly the human body. We talk about self-awareness and mental health on this podcast. And oftentimes I talk about the three health bodies of antiquity, specifically when we look at alchemy and, um, you know, the parents of modern medicine and the even, you know, if we go back to traditional, what we consider traditional medicine or old school versions of medicine, the original forms of medicine, we have the idea of the three different health bodies. We have the physical material body. We have the other body, typically in today's society referred to as the spiritual body. And then the mental body, which is the translation point, as I've stated before. Today's episode is all about the physical body, the form in which we walk around in all day. And I think this is a very important topic when it comes to the middle ground of self-awareness and even when it comes to mental health, because I think there is a big misunderstanding of the human system, specifically in the fact that, you know, yes, we teach anatomy and physiology and most people get introduced to it in some fashion throughout their schooling career. The problem there is Oftentimes the information is either incomplete, not enough. There's actually a lot of incorrect information that goes around. We just don't get a very good understanding of the human system. Even when it comes to just health in general, a lot of people don't understand their bodies. Uh, this is readily apparent when we talk about the Western medical medical system and how, you know, doctors will say one thing and there's, you know, we have this other idea of like, Oh, well, you know, I don't really understand what that medical jargon or medical speak is. It's like a different language to people. That's a problem. You should understand your body. You should understand this thing you walk around in. You know, I've talked about before how with the three, uh, the three bodies of health in antiquity, how the mental is the translation point. Well, if you're translating one thing to another, even if it is just the mental to the physical and you don't understand one part of that translation, you're not going to get very far. You're not going to have a, a, a good state to work from. And this is why I think vocabulary is important. So I think it's really important that we understand what the human body is. Now, there's a whole topic of discussion when it comes to the education system and academia known as anatomy and physiology. Anatomy and physiology is where we learn about what is this human body thing and, and what does it do and what are the pieces of it and the parts of it and how do they work together? And I'm here to tell you, to be completely honest, we don't know everything yet. 
we do know a lot. We just don't know everything yet. And it's constantly changing. So it's often a good thing or a good, you know, practice to go update yourself on it. This is why in most health systems, a licensed practitioner of anything, uh, I'm a licensed massage therapist, um, but, you know, doctors, nurses, there's this requirement for continuing education. Typically, anyone who has a license from their board of health in whatever state they might have that from, there, if you're a licensed practitioner of something, you typically have the requirement where you need continuing education. And that continuing education is usually kind of sometimes thrown to the side or just kind of scoffed at or an annoyance to some, where in the reality, it should be a place where we update our ways of thinking. Now, that doesn't really in my personal opinion, occur all that often, uh, specifically because a lot of the things that make them way, make their way into the Western medical system are way behind. Or, you know, when it comes to doctors, I personally feel most doctors get indoctrinated and that's not their fault. Um, I'm here to sell the, you know, I'm here to defend them in that sense where it's, it's typically not a doctor's fault that they got indoctrinated because they had to go to Western doctrine school and in the Western medicine system, doctor school tells you this is how it is. This is how you should deal with things. They spent a ton of time learning contraindications and indications of medications and not so much time learning on how to actually interact with the human body. They learn, you know, the 11 systems and they learn, you know, the different pieces and then they specialize generally. And, you know, they, you know, you get a doctor of cardiology, a doctor of, you know, this, that, and the other thing, you know, orthopedic medicine, all sorts, of, there's all sorts of different fields of practice because the human system is very complex. And that's, I think, where most people's switch gets turned off. When we learn how complex the human system is, most people say like, oh, I just don't have enough time to learn about that. Or, you know, I, I just, I don't have the mental capacity for it, or it just doesn't make sense to me or stick in my mind. And in some cases it's designed to be that way because the individuals who have created the knowledge we have about the human system were in the world of anatomy and physiology, in the world of medicine, in the world of research and, and these things and they use science obviously but these are scientific processes and the naming schemes and it gets very complicated uh, specifically most of the human body is named after some individual who found it first and got to throw their name on it so we're just learning all the you know memorizing the the names for things and it's complicated and it, it's arduous and it can be daunting and i completely understand that but if you're going to take any control over your self-awareness or mental health specifically, having an understanding of the human system, the human body is very important. Now, where do you start? That's tough. Um, for anyone who's just not interested, you probably just even, you just probably heard me talk about all these things and you're like, ah, I'm going to skip this episode. I get it. I do. When I, you know, went to massage therapy school. It was an intensive program, six months long, four days a week, six to eight hours a day. It was like a full-time job essentially to learn about the human system. And part of that was taking anatomy and physiology. And I took hours of it. I think it was like 250, 300 hours of anatomy and physiology, learning all the different pieces. It's tough. Here's what I think is a general 
overview to get an understanding of. First, there is a vocabulary. And yes, it's not easy. A lot of it's Latin. A lot of it's, you know, designed to be a little bit complicated. Um, there is doctor speak. There is medical speak. You know, nurses know this uh, pretty well. Um, there is a language you have to learn, a vocabulary you have to learn just to work in a hospital, just to talk about the human system in a way that everyone understands. It's just a, a way we all talk about it so that we understand what's going on. Part of that is the anatomical planes. There are this sectional pieces of the body to reference different things. We, it's directional anatomy. We call it the anatomical planes. You know, you might hear the word medial or lateral. You might hear sagittari uh, sagittal or, you know, the cranial plane or you might hear or distal or there's all these different words, right? For now, I would suggest leave that part behind. You don't necessarily need to know all of those things unless you're trying to reference something because that's what they do. Medial references the center line of the body. If it's medial, it's towards the center line. If it's lateral, it's towards the outside. If it's proximal, it's towards the inside. If it's distal, it's towards the, the it's away from the, this core of the body. So those are just ways of, you know, referencing areas of the body. In reality, what do you need to know about your body? If you're just a lay person, if you're general, want to getting a general sense of, you know, your own health, you should familiarize yourself with the, the 11 major systems of the body. And those are the cardiovascular system, which is your circulatory system that includes your heart, your arteries, your veins. That's a good one to know. It's a good thing to know to bring up an anatomy book. Unfortunately, if you're squeamish and you don't like seeing the inside of the body, this might not be for you. But to understand that you have this thing known as the circulatory system, and it pumps blood around the body, takes oxygen from the lungs, which is another one of the systems, the respiratory system, takes oxygen from the lungs into the cardiovascular system, and then pushes the oxygen through blood throughout the body. Great. We have the digestive system. Most people are pretty familiar with this one. You eat stuff, you digest it. Well, there's some different pieces and involved with that. It goes from all the way from the mouth through the esophagus down to, you know, the stomach. And then you have, you know, the small and large intestine, colon, all these things. So you have the digestive system, you digest things. And then we have the endocrine system. The endocrine system is our hormonal system. It's made up of different glands and the, you know, the thalamus and the hypothalamus and the, the um, I might get some of these wrong. So don't completely quote me on this. It's been a really long time since I've taken my AMP, but you have all of the things in the system, the endocrine system regulates the hormones in the body. That's a really important one to learn about if, you know, if you're having any sort of hormonal issue, be it from just hormonal headaches to, you know, other different issues, you know, like a hyper or a hypothalamus issue, uh, those types of things. It's good to know what is the endocrine system? What does it do? How does it function? What are the different pieces of it? So that if you do have to go to a doctor you have a better understanding of, oh, what's going on here? Oh, you're talking about my hypothalamus. Okay, awesome. I, you know, it's nice to know that I have this, you know, issue. Um, or like a thyroid issue, part of the endocrine system. Oh, I have a hype, I've, I'm, have hypothyroidism. That means it's not working to the function. Those are two terms right there, hyper and hypo. Hyper means elevated, hypo means lowered, you know, a, above or below what we consider normal function. 
That's why I get it. When you go to the doctor, it's super complicated. But let's just get through the, the systems and, and then we'll go into a little bit more of how this relates to self-awareness and mental health. Moving on, we have the integumentary and the, or the exocrine system. This is your skin, hair, nails. The exocrine system is the, um, your sweat glands are considered exocrine glands. They excrete things, exocrine excrete. You have the immune system, which is part of the lymphatic system. You have this whole thing known as lymph fluid. I'm not going to get into it, but it's there. It's important. It's, you know, it's the immune system and your immune function with, you know, uh, swelling and the histamics, um, histamine functions and those things. You have your muscular system, which is what I deal with as a, a massage therapist, uh, muscular skeletal. You have your skeletal system. That's another one of them. You have your nervous system, which is made up of all sorts of things. Nervous system is the one we're actually going to get into today because it's super important for breathing exercises and meditation. You have your renal or urinary system. That's the kidneys, blood, urine. Um, you have your reproductive system. Everybody, you know, hopefully has learned about that in school in some way or function. Uh, and then we, we talked about the respiratory system and the, and the skeletal system that makes up the total 11. Okay, Phil, you're, you're going real deep here. I know. And the reason I'm going real deep is because really what you got to take away from this is base value. You have 11 major systems in the human body. Those 11 systems are so-called the major systems because they are what control the different subsets of how we in the Western world have broken apart the body to deal with the different systems independently. So that, you know, and you, it, that knowing just those 11 or knowing of those 11 give you the differentiation between knowing and something and, and having wisdom on something. Having heard that you now have the wisdom which the differentiation between knowledge and wisdom is knowledge is knowing the answer to the question, which doctors typically have the knowledge to answer your questions or the wisdom, which is wisdom is finding is knowing where to find the answer to the question. So yes, it's wise to go to a doctor if you don't have the answers. It's also wise now knowing that you have these 11 different systems to know, Oh, they're talking about the cardiovascular system. So I'm going to look at things that involve the heart, the veins, the arteries, those things. That's part of the cardiovascular system. Oh, stomach problems. That's part of the digestive system. You know, it could be any one function of the digestive process. So this is the wisdom to narrow down your knowledge on the human body. Now, why is this important for self-awareness? Why is this important for mental health? Well, as I've said before, in antiquity, we have these different health bodies. When we don't understand what's going on with our body, it's stressful because our nervous system, which is controlled by the central nervous processing system known as your brain, may go into a stressed response because we don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm having this pain. I don't know why, you know, this ache won't go away. I don't know why it becomes a very stressful thing for the organism not to know what's really going on. And I find anecdotally through my thousands of hours of massage practice that when I educate my client to the knowledge of giving them just an understanding of how their muscles work and all the different things that go into that, I can wax poetically about the human muscular and skeletal system for hours. I've done it. I've spent many massage hours working with a client, showing them why or how the different pieces affect each other and how everything in the muscular skeletal system is connected. 
that's through the fascial system, which I might get into a little bit later. But giving a client that knowledge allows them to have a couple different responses. And I'm saying this anecdotally because I don't have any research to prove it, but it gives them quicker response to the therapy work we're doing. And it also gives them the self-awareness or just the awareness of the human body so that they can go through their daily routines and not continue to do the repetitive actions that typically end up in what we know as repetitive stress injuries, which in the massage field are what we know as um, what most people call uh, knots. That's the layperson term is knots. The reality is that term is actually adhesions, and adhesions are when two sarcomeres or multiple sarcomeres, sarcomeres are the muscle fibers themselves. Your muscles are made up of little fibers, um, and they're known as sarcomeres. And when two sarcomeres get stuck together, they adhese, just like, you know, tape is adhesive. Sarcomeres, they get stuck together. They rub together too much. They get adhesed. So we call it an adhesion, commonly referred to as a knot. We want to break those knots up. We want to break those adhesions up so that the, the fluids can get into the bellies of the muscle. And thus, if, you know, that's causing undue stress or, you know, poor function of a muscle, it could expand into all sorts of things. So just by knowing that there's this thing known as sarcomeres, there are pieces of the belly of the muscle or pieces of muscle, you now know what makes up an adhesion, what makes up a knot. And by knowing that, just that little piece of information I find tells people like, oh, okay, I have this thing known as an adhesion, which I commonly refer to as a knot. So now, now I know what that is. It's, it's oh, the muscle's bound up. It's, it's stuck. It's adhesed together, and I need to get that taken care of. And there's different ways you can do that. You can get you can do stretching. You can get a massage. You can have active release by the chiropractor. Maybe the doctor has you know something they can do for you. I can see the physical therapist. I can tell them what's going on. You can more intelligently describe the issue so that you can get a better response from the system you're working with. Now I've talked about the 11 health with well, 11 systems of the human body as just a whole, the body is a system. The Western medical system is a system. The Eastern medical systems, Ayurvedic, TCM, Chinese traditional medicine, um, energy systems, whatever system you want to, they're all individual systems. And remember, I've talked about systems before on this program, program, yeah, podcast. Um, those systems need to find interaction pieces. One of those is through vocabulary. So if you have the vocabulary and you know that, hey, I just know that there's something wrong with this system, it gets you a better response out of the system you're dealing with. And in this case, we have the human body as its system, and we want to deal with the Western medicine system. And I know I've talked poorly of the medical Western medical system in some cases. But in reality, if you're having a heart attack, go to the hospital. They're going to save your life. That's what they're designed to do. If you're, if you're pregnant and you're, you know, going through a pregnancy, go to the hospital, <laughs> deal with the Western medical system. They are amazing at delivering babies. They have their, they have their greats and they have their faults. Their fault in my eyes is that they treat symptoms and not issues. They don't treat the core issues. So, that's where this understanding of the human body can give you a better understanding of your, of yourself. And by doing so, when you start to learn about the human system, you can get a better understanding of what's going on and that can lower stress levels that can help with all sorts of different things. So it's just a good idea 
when we get to the middle ground of self-awareness, when, you know, when we've gotten the other things out of the way and we're looking at places to increase our self-awareness or to maybe get past a, a point of, you know, being stuck or, you know, you don't know which route to take. Sometimes it's just good to sit down and learn about the human body because that's the reality is that this is all connected. The human body is the material faculty for the mind. The analogy I commonly like to use is we're like a coral reef. Your body is made up of all these different cells and organisms, you know, like bacteria and just all of these different things that's wrapped in this organ known as skin. And that skin gives that body a pressurized system to live in. And I say that body because it's just a body of organisms. It's a collective group of things, kind of like a coral reef that all need each other to survive. And you're just in control of it. So you're almost like the manager of the system. And that's where we get into the conversation of consciousness and all these other, you know, we've talked about some of those things before, but in, in this episode, just focusing on the body, the body is just this coral reef system and, and you are in charge of keeping it alive. It does all the functions for you. The cardiovascular system, the heart will beat and flow the blood for you. The digestive system, when you put, you know, food in there, it breaks it down to pull away the individual nutrients that it needs for all the different functions. The endocrine system, the hormone, the endocrine system controls the hormones to tell the digestive system to digest, to tell the heart to keep beating or, or maybe we'll release adrenaline to get the heart rate to increase so that you can do activity or run away from a danger. The integumentary system will keep everything essentially sealed in, you know, hair, skin, nails, those types of things. It will excrete things through the exocrine system, you know, if taking things and sending them that out of through your sweat glands and other ways of excretion. The immune system will protect you from outside and foreign invaders, organisms, bacteria, viruses that aren't supposed to be in the system. The, the lymphatic system will come along and collect them and get, get them out. The muscular system allows us to move and function. We don't have to do anything special. We just know, raise arm, raise arm, lower arm, lower arm. It just, it just knows. We just send the signal and it, it figures it out for us. The nervous system is the thing controlling all this from the brain down into, you know, this, through the central nervous system to the, you know, um, using the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, the autonomous nervous system and compared to the act, you know, nervous system. We have the 13 cranial nerves. They just send information and they collect information, bring it back. They send out the commands. We don't have to think, you don't have to think, you don't have to think the functions of, okay, send command of move pinky toe one millimeter down now send it okay and I'm, I'm sending it all the way through the nerve and pinky toe is moving and it's responding by having touched the floor and i feel it on the floor and now i get that sensation back you don't have to think about that you just go pinky toe move you just move it so you get the nervous system we have the renal or you know the which is renal means kidneys, uh, urinary system. So it, that's blood and, and filtering the blood. And you don't have to think about that. It just does it. Just the system's just controlling. Okay. Hey, we got this toxin in the blood. Let's filter that out. Or, Hey, we have a little bit too much glucose or it just, it just does it. And then the, it interacts with all the other systems and they tell things what to do. We have the reproductive systems. I don't have to think about how that works. It just works. 
We have the respiratory system. You often, that's part of the, controlled by the nervous system, autonomous nervous system. It just goes, and your autonomous nervous system is typically what they refer to as subconscious action of the nervous system. So you don't have to tell yourself to breathe. When you're not thinking about it, when you're busy trying to make dinner or, you know, you're driving in traffic or getting work done or, you know, reading a book, the respiratory system is just doing its job. Just inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. You can take control of it. It's part of, you know, what I've talked about before with meditation, how uh, the respiratory system is actually one of the rare areas of the body where we can interact with the autonomous nervous system. But you don't have to think about it. It just takes care of it for you. And you definitely don't have to think about the alveoli, you know, collecting the oxygen pieces from the air we're breathing in and then transferring that into the lungs so that the circulatory system can come along and deposit the carbon dioxide and pick up the new oxygen, add that to the blood, and then pump the oxygen-rich blood through the arterial systems in the heart and then have that boom explode through the, not really explode, but get pumped through the rest of the circulatory system. And then that system pick up all the deoxygenated blood in the areas that it's supposed to be. You don't have to think about any of that. It just happens. And then finally, you know, the skeletal system and how it, you know, is, is the structural unit. But even there in the skeletal system, you have things like um, fibroblasts and fibroclasts where your bones are creating and, and destroying bone. That's what they, your, your bones are constantly generating and region, you know, it's, they're, how do I, I'm trying to keep this simple. <laughs> and I know I'm failing, but uh, you have fibroclasts, which are the part of the bone that absorbs the calcium and other nutrients from the bone. And then you have fibroblasts is where they deposit the um, new calcium. And so it's just this constant, constant creation and destruction cycle in the bones that we use for different functions. You know, so even that just, you know, the, yeah, the bones are there to give us structure and they're super strong and they're great. But there's also this other function that goes along with the immune and lymphatic system and all of this stuff. And they just interact together. And we don't even have to think about it. But once we start to know more about it, we can really dive into a better understanding of us, of what we are. And we are a body. And that body is a collective, very much so like a... Um, coral reef, or even just a biome. You know, if you look at a forest, a forest isn't just trees. If you want to think of that as a skeletal structure, it's not just those. There's all sorts of different things. One fascinating thing to look at is if you want to go look at um, Paul Stamets, uh, the mushroom guy, commonly referred to as the mushroom guy. Um, he's worked with the uh, mycelium, uh, which is the network of mushrooms. And uh, I believe... I. I uh, can't specifically remember the name of the documentary they produced, but if you look up Paul Samuels in the mycelial network, uh, fantastic fungi, that's it. If you're a little bit squeamish, I don't necessarily recommend it. It can be a little gross to some, but fantastic fungi is an amazing um, documentary on how the mycelial network, which is the mushroom network works and all about mushrooms and stuff. Mushrooms are like the digestive function of the, um, forest. They, they break things down and then those things can be used and to provide nutrients to the system. Um, they do some other functions that would be similar to like the nervous system and other things. But if that's how I think about the human system, I, I think it's a good way to think about the human system. And all of philosophy has done this. All of philosophy has broken down the human system into an 
a, a different separation. It, it's not you. You are you are not a body. You control a body. You are stuffed into. You live in a body. And oftentimes we think about ourselves in, inhabiting the cranium, which is the name for your skull bones. Um, and there's multiple different bones in the skull that make up the cranium, make up the skull. You often, we often think about ourselves as inhabiting that space because that's where our mind is and we think we inhabit. We have this understanding of inhabiting a mind almost intrinsically in humanity. And the reality there is that's even not true. The mind has its own little pieces and it's its own little world of, you know, it's sealed specifically that we have this, uh, this barrier between, you know, it's called the blood brain barrier. It's a fluid that sits in between our blood vessels and the brain itself that, um, controls it, it's to make sure that no foreign bodies get into the brain. Cause if, if anything foreign gets into the brain, it's a bad day. So we have what's known as the blood brain barrier. And that's how nutrients are passed between the fluid for the brain, the cranial fluid and the blood vessels that are in the skull. Again, this all gets very complicated. I know, but even just knowing that there's another piece of information that'd be like, Oh, okay. Well, you can start to see a differentiation between you self ego, ego, I, and the body. And the body is separate. In my eyes, the body is absolutely separate. And we knew this back in antiquity. We knew this so long ago that it's almost to me unfathomable that we've just kind of forgotten about it. In fact, if we look at anatomy and physiology, Anatomy and physiology goes all the way back to the Egyptians. I mean, in 1600 BC, and we all know how I feel about dates and history, how that's, they're probably not accurate. But um, if we just use that as a number, 1600 BC, the Egyptians, they knew about the spleen, they knew about the liver, they knew about the kidneys, they knew about the organs. They at least knew about the organ systems. We definitely know that. We know so because they used to do embalming. They would, you know, dissect the body and embalm the organs and um, mummify the body. They did a great job of that. It was amazing. So 1600 BC, we have the Egyptians. Da Vinci, 1489. That one's, you know, again, dates, I know, but whatever. But we know Da Vinci wrote very, very technical drawings and very technical writing on the different pieces of the body. I mean, Da Vinci has amazing drawings on the forearm and the articulation of the wrist and the elbow and all the different bones that went in to make up the hand and how the radius and the ulna and even, to, you know, showed vector lines of how the radius rotates over the ulna. That's why it's called the radius. It rotates over the ulna. Um, and then uh, Vesalius and uh, hippocampus, weren't drawings on the hippocampus, uh, but I'm sorry, hypothalamus. <laughs> sorry, anyway, I'm getting distracted on my knowledge of the history of the anatomy and physiology. But we know that we have all these things. Traditional Chinese medicine, let me make that quick jump. 2,200 years ago, they had anatomy drawings of the different um, nadi points and nani points or, or the acupuncture points and the blood vessel system of flow of what's now we know as lymph, but back then they considered it the flow of qi. In the, in the body, they had drawings of this. So humans have known for a very long time that there is this thing known as the body, and it's made of all these different pieces. Yet somewhere along the lines from back then till now, 
we just kind of enveloped the human body back into being part of the us, the I. And it's not to say it's not. But what I'm saying is there is a separation between you, who you are, and your body. You have control of your body. And most philosophical writings, someone like Iamblichus, Jacobomi, um, pick somebody, Paracelsus, uh, all of them. There's <laughs> just a ton. And I know I quote a lot of the same people a lot, but that's just because they're the ones I like and everybody plays favorites in that game. But there are a lot of different philosophical writers and medical writers from antiquity and even in modern day um, that wrote about this differentiation between the body, the mind, and the other. So it's a really good standpoint to take to understand your body more. Because by doing so, specifically when it comes to mental health, you can get a better understanding of what's really going on. And then you can better maybe, remember, I'm not a doctor, I can't diagnose or prescribe. Take everything I see with a grain of salt, I'm just an idiot on the internet. I make a huge differentiation between depression being the way in which we see the world and interact with it and major depressive disorder, which is the clinically diagnosed idea of what we just quote unquote call depression. I have a huge distinction between the two. I don't diagnose people with depression or what's really known as major depressive disorder. I talk about what I refer to as, or what's commonly referred to in society as depression melancholy feeling, which comes from the world of word melancholy, which really in reality was the idea of side real bodies depressing themselves below the horizon line. And thus I have this understanding that it's the way we see the world. Everyone's depression is a little bit different. I've talked about this in other episodes. If you haven't listened to them, please go check them out. Specifically the episode on depression. I believe that was episode 15. Um, but we have this idea of of major depressive disorder. And that is a clinically diagnosable thing that can have all sorts of different reasons behind it. The diagnosis could have any number of routes in which that diagnosis comes around. It could be anything from a hormonal issue that is an endocrine issue. The hormones are just not working correctly. It's creating this major, major depressive disorder. It could be nervous system related that there's just a, a misfiring or of a basal ganglia somewhere that just signals are getting crossed and there's a, a, a beta blocker necessary to help stop that from happening. It could be from a, a chronic, um, it could be because somebody has Crohn's disease, which is um, a, a horrible disease that infects the digestive system. And that's causing a constant wave of issues that has built into a mental situation where major depressive disorder is diagnosed from that. So someone could have Crohn's and major depressive disorder. It could be from reproductive issues, you know, maybe someone's having reproductive problems and that creates a, you know, feeling of a, a disassociation of a being lesser of a human. And that creates a major depressive disorder diagnosis. It could be, it just goes on and on and on. Any one of these systems could have an issue that leads to major depressive disorder because the mind is, or at least 
from the, what I've studied and how I look at things. And again, don't let me make your deciding factor. Just take what I'm saying is just an information flow and then make your own decisions. Because I've said many times before about how self-awareness is all about making decisions for yourself. But when it comes to mental health, any one of these 11 systems in the human body could lead to a diagnosis of major depressive disorder or what's, you know, clinically referred to as depression. That's huge. That's, that's a huge thing in the mental health game. And oftentimes I find, at least anecdotally, there's not a lot of crosstalk between the psychiatric or the psychological and the internal medicine system. And often the internal medicine system, there's no easy way to say this, fucks up and creates a situation that ends up ending in a mental health diagnosis because the internal medicine system fucked up, caused the person a bunch of problems, typically financially, and then we end up in the mental health problems and then, you know, we get into the psychological and psychiatric and there's the diagnosis of the major depressive disorder. So it's really important to get a better understanding of this because if any one of these systems could cause an issue that ends up having massive mental ramifications, then if you don't understand anything about the body of the human system, you're just left to the whims of whoever comes along and tries to treat you or diagnose you or all of these things. And I'm not saying fight your doctors. That's not what I'm saying here. Again, if you have a heart attack, Western medicine system, amazing. Save lives. If you're pregnant, deliver babies. They do it in their sleep. Literally, some doctors just be like, nah, you'll be fine. Um, it's a joke. But even that, like just, you know, basic stuff, you know, I'm having a little trouble breathing, asthma. Oh, all right, we'll diagnose asthma. Like, that's that's how this works. That's what they're good at doing. I'm not saying they're not necessary. No, they're good at these things. They're not necessarily good at figuring out the root cause of where these things came from or even putting two and two together because that's not what they're taught to do. Okay, we have to really give them a break there. That whole thing where people used to say, and I say used to because no one does this anymore, um, people used to say, go get a second opinion. Well, that idea of going and getting a second opinion was simply that. It was to get a better understanding, to have more information, a different diagnosis that might give us a better understanding of maybe where the root cause is and not so much what the symptoms are. Because the symptom of Crohn's disease could end up being major depressive disorder. That could be a symptom of the root cause that's causing this person to be in what we consider this depressed state, this melancholy state, this I don't want to get out of bed state because my stomach, every time I eat, is fucked up and I'm in pain constantly and I can't eat anything to make myself better because it's just going to make it worse. That could just be a symptom of Crohn's disease. So if we treat the root cause, we might get a better mental outcome. And I know I'm using a disease that's what most consider untreatable, but 
I find that the Western medicine system will put tags on things like that, that things are just untreatable. And I, I don't necessarily believe that. And again, I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. I am not giving medical advice, nor would I. What I am telling you to do is look harder, look deeper, get a better understanding, educate yourself. You should always be educating yourself. And educating yourself on the human body is a really good place to go when you start to get self-awareness under your belt or when you're really diving deep into your mental health because they're all correlated. They're all connected. Everything in the human system is connected. Everything. To give you an example of this, in massage therapy, as a massage therapist, I spent a lot of my time when it comes to continuing education or just educating myself in general on the human body, learning about the fascial system. And the, the big hype term nowadays is the you know, myofascial release or myofascial massage and those types of things. The reality is you need to learn about the fascial system. And the fascial system is an interconnected network of tissue that connects everything musculoskeletal. Everything involved in organic tissue in the human body is all connected tissue. I mean, and I specifically mean tissue, including bones as tissue because bones are technically alive. <laughs> they're in your body. They're alive. They're doing things and they have tissue connections. Um, specifically when we talk about insertion and origins of muscles, all muscles connect somewhere to the skeletal structure in some fashion. So did ligaments and tendons. But the fascial system is what interlinks all of them. And we didn't have any general understanding of the fascial system till very recently. And even in today's society, as advanced as we are, most medical systems are just starting to wrap their heads around the fascial system. Anecdotally, I can tell you, talking to most nurses and doctors in, in the area in which I live, 50-50 right now. Some have heard of it. They know about it. They've never studied it. They don't really know too, too much about it. They know it exists. They know it's something you know we're learning about. Others never heard of it, don't know what it is, know it under a different name that's not really accurate, have an idea or have an idea of the, uh, they know about the idea that things are connected, but they don't know that's what it was called. It's known as the fascial system and it's 50, 50 and it's moving, you know, upwards, but it's still kind of 50, 50 in my book or, you know, people here is a hot term. Most, you know, I've, I've run into some doctors that are just like, oh yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And they just don't they have no idea, but I don't blame them for again. Again, I don't blame them for that because it wasn't part of their schooling. It wasn't part of their teaching. It's not a continuing education course that I know about in the Western medicine that you can just go and learn about. Typically they have to go find this or they get it through one of those continuing education. They go to a seminar and somebody brings up the fascial system. And they're like, Oh, that's what that is. A lot of orthopedic doctors know about it because it has to do with the musculoskeletal system. A lot of cardiovascular doctors have to know about it because it helps move fluid around the body. Um, it's also the inflammation response is typically in the fascial system. And thus now we have a better understanding of how that functions. And a lot of medicine is coming around to the idea that, oh, inflammation's not great. Stagnant inflammation's horrible. Most disease, specifically autoimmune diseases, have to do with stagnant inflammation that was never dealt with and caused an issue. The longer you allow inflammation to, to sit in one location in the body without 
being flushed out, you actually allow bad things to happen, bad, bad bacteria to breed, um, degradation of the uh, tissue in the area, all sorts of bad things happen. So, you know, we're learning about inflammation responses and those types of things. So again, I don't blame doctors for not knowing about it. And I don't blame nursing staff or anyone part of the health system for not knowing about it because this is kind of new. Now, how new is it? Well, I mean, it's not that new. Um, Dr. Jean Barteau is one of the um, people who has kind of brought it into the light. He's a French doctor who is a little bit crazy, actually. Uh, Dr. Jean Barteau took a camera. I know this is a little bit of a side tangent, but it's fascinating. Dr. Jean Barteau was one of the first people to take a camera and um, look at um, the fascia, like, as a, um, like a video of the fascia. And he did so by, I believe it was lidocaine that he used, but he used some sort of, um, uh, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? He used some sort of sedative for a local, local sedative or anesthetic. Um, there we go to kind of numb an area on his arm. And then he cut his arm open and shoved a camera in there and took pictures of this thing we know as the fascial system. And then he wrote an awesome book um, with Colin Armstrong called The Architecture of Human Living Fascia, which is what I studied. And it's fascinating. So, you know, this is um, more recent information. It it is just coming out now. And it's not even that recent. I believe this was published back in 2015, but his research comes from 1980s. I think he started his work back in the 1980s and that particular book was only published back in 2015. So, you know, again, we're just, and we knew about the fascial system before that, but he was like one of the first ones to give us a really good look. Um, you can go on YouTube and you can look up living fascia or human living fascia and see some cool videos of it if you're into that stuff. But my point there is we're just learning about that system now. And it's a huge system. The fascia system is so important, specifically in what I do, that not understanding it is almost like not knowing the alphabet. It's that important. Once you come up with an understanding of the fascia system, you really, if you're a practitioner of any body work whatsoever, it's like having an understanding of the alphabet. That's how important it is. And again, we just learned about it. Don't quote me on the, the dates, but I believe Dr. Gian Bartow and others started in the 1980s. Real understanding of the fascist system, I believe, started in the 1970s and kind of moved forward. 1980s, 1990s, people actually started publishing work on it. And then again, this book and research culminated over 30-some years to a publication in 2015. So 35 years on, maybe, that, you know, we've got a better understanding and, and can publish work on it. And, and now there's peer reviewed papers on the financial system. And I know the whole peer review process is really in question because you can just pay to get a positive peer review, but um, real actual work on it is just coming out now. Someone like Thomas Myers, who studied with Ida Rolf and Buckminster Fuller, two big names in the body work industry. Although Buckminster Fuller wasn't a body worker, Ida Rolf was a body worker, but Buckminster Fuller gave us tensegrity. And um, as far as people to read, 
Buckminster Fuller is a fascinating individual. He invented or came up with the idea of tensegrity. And tensegrity is something you've probably seen before. Um, if you've ever seen steel beams being held up by cables that are only connected to each other, and it just kind of looks like it's floating in space, and they're all just kind of balanced, that's tensegrity. Um, Buckminster Fuller also wrote uh, Utopia or Oblivion, The Prospects for Humanity, which is an interesting read if you uh, want to get into some of his work. He's wrote a couple different books and he's done a lot of different stuff. He was an architect, um, a mathematician, interesting fellow. Ida Rolf, as interesting as Buckminster Fuller, Ida Rolf gave us what's known as rolfing in the bodywork industry. And I don't agree with rolfing as a practice, but it was one of the first things to work with the fascial system. So that's where I come up with this idea that we really need to, if, if you want to get into self-awareness, if, if you're in it and you want to get deeper if you're having mental health issues, if you want to get a better understanding of your mental health, understanding the body and specifically the 11 systems will give you a better understanding and it'll give you a better platform to work from. You know, going back into the fascial system, because I love talking about it, um, mostly because it's what I do on a daily basis, but the fascial system is actually what our it wraps everything to give you just a quick 30,000, 60,000 foot really from the moon look down. Um, the fascist system wraps everything, muscle, skeletal organs, everything. It, it touches all pieces of the body of organic tissue. It wraps everything. It also transports fluids. And if you've ever looked at um, a steak or um, any uh, flesh tissue, that's the specifically on red meat though is, is where it's easier to see because all mammals have fascia. It's the silvery flossy white lining in between the different pieces of muscle. That's fascia. Now fascia actually wraps all the way down to the individual sarcomeres of the muscle and becomes the tendons and ligaments when we calcify it slightly. It's what allows you to stand upright. That's the most important thing to learn about the fascia. So We've talked about the 11 systems, right? The two big systems of movement are musculoskeletal. So we have the skeletal system and we have the muscular system that's controlled by the nervous system. If you take a skeleton and you hang it up, some people who've taken anatomy and physiology have probably seen the skeleton hanging on the wire, you know, the wired up skeleton, very common in anatomy and physiology class, very common, uh, very common in a nursing program, doctor program. We all see the skeleton hanging on the wire or just on the hook. That's the skeletal system. If you unhook that skeleton, it just collapses on the floor. It just becomes a pile of bones. All right. That's, you know, think Halloween, you know, the pile of bones. That's, that's the skeleton system. It just collapses into a pile. If we add the muscular system, now we have a skeleton that can articulate itself because it has muscles to pull. And right there, just getting into the muscular system and how muscles work, we learn a universal truth across all physics. And specifically in the mystery schools, it's a good thing to know. Nothing in the universe pushes. Everything pulls. Every force in the universe pulls. All of them. Every single one of them. Nothing pushes. Gravity pulls. Magnetism pulls. Nothing pushes. But Phil, magnets repulse, they repulse, they do not push. They just repel each other. A, a repelling nature is not a pull. It's not a push. It's a pull. They're just pulling opposite each other and they, they run into each other. It's, it's 
a push is an a, a, a action. And we use a different translation of that action because really it's a pull, but we say push because it's, it, it's an opposite reaction. So really pushes are reactions, not actions, not um, prime action. But that's, that's a thing in physics. That's a, that's a thing in etheric physics specifically to understand that everything pulls. A muscle pulls across a joint to create action. So if you curl your bicep and you pull your fist towards your face, that's a pull. It's the insertion point of the bicep across the bicep brachii with the, with the bicep brachii. It's, that's the name of the muscle, bicep brachii across the um, humerus to the radius and ulna attachment points. It's pulling the radius and ulna towards the humerus at the flexion point known as the elbow, which actions into a pull of the fist towards the face. And then if you fire the tricep, the antagonist to the bicep, bicep meaning two heads, tricep meaning three heads, if you activate the triceps, the tricep, it pulls on the opposite side. It pulls on across the elbow, attachments on the uh, radius and ulna, specifically on the ulna, and then flexes at the elbow to retract the fist from the face. Typically, we call that a pushing motion, but nothing is pushing. The bicep is relaxing and the tricep is pulling. Bicep is not pushing. The bicep does not push the elbow flexion. The tricep simply pulls. This is the understanding of antagonist and protagonist in the musculoskeletal system. And I know I'm getting deep and I'm, I'm probably losing a bunch of people and that's fine because I like to wax poetically about these things. And it's my, it's my podcast. So hopefully you just like listening to me ramble on. This is important to understand because in the idea that everything pulls, that's a universal truth. It's a good thing to know about physics and, specific, and even metaphysics and etheric physics, all sorts of stuff. But that understanding that everything pulls gives us the understanding that, okay, everything's pulling, which allows us to understand the next function of how we stand upright. And this is Buckminster Fuller's idea on tensegrity. When you add the skeletal, when you add the muscular system to that skeleton, again, if we just take the skeleton, it falls on the ground, collapses, puddle of bones. If we add the muscle groups to that skeleton, now it curls up into a neat, well, not really neat, but a, a spiky little ball. It just, it just curls up because everything pulls. That's what muscle, muscles are trying to pull all the time. They're constantly trying to pull. Even when your muscles are relaxed, they're actually firing. You've, you're constantly twitching. It's defined neutrality. Remember universal truth that I've talked about in the past, all nature, all of it is trying to find balance. It just does it asymmetrically. That's what the body's constantly twitching. The muscles are firing constantly. Twitch, 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 twitch. ATP production is happening constantly. Do, 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 do. You know, even in the digestive system, your digestive system has muscle, smooth columnar muscle, but, uh, or sorry, smooth muscle, but it's doing what's known as um, peristalsis. Peristalsis is the action of contraction, release, contraction, release. And it's what the, it's what the digestive system's doing constantly. It's going contract, release, contract, release, contract, release. It's just moving things along the system. So digestion is slow because peristalsis is slow, which is contract, release, contract, release, and just moving the food along and letting the digestive stuff do all its thing, letting all the little gut bacteria biome do its thing. 
I know I'm going off on random tangents. I'm getting lost a little bit, but back to the skeletal system. It's probably the first time anyone's ever heard me get excited on the podcast talking about something because I'm interested in it and hopefully you are too. So when we add that muscular system and the skeletal system falls to the ground, it pulls, everything pulls because that's what muscles do. And we get a ball of muscle and bone. Okay, great. Well, technically we would have to add blood in there because that's the fluid system in which things get oxygenated and creates what's known as hydrostatic systems, which is what you live in. You live in a hydrostatic system and we need um, fluids to work like hydraulics essentially. But it still falls down. The, the, the body would still just fall down. Even if you just wrap at this point, if you just wrap the skin around it and called it a day, it would still just fall down. Well, why is that? It's because we need something known as tensegrity. And tensegrity is provided to the human system through the idea of the fascial system. The fascia system wraps everything and is constantly under tension. So going back to Buckminster Fuller's idea of tensegrity and the art installations and architecture pieces he used to build was a representation of this thing known as tensegrity, specifically that in a hydrostatic system, which is what the human system is. We're, we're a pressurized hydro system. When you add tensegrity, which is things constantly under tension, but equivalent tension, thus so that they find balance constantly, we, we find a universal truth. The human system is constantly seeking balance, just like all nature, and it's doing it asymmetrically. You have a lung that's slightly larger than the other lung because one lung is smaller to make room for the heart because the heart sits slightly off center to the left usually. Some people have it to the right though. You never know. Genetics are genetics. Things get weird. But you do have a lung that's slightly larger because it can be and then you have a, light, a lung that's slightly smaller simply to make room for the heart. And the heart's, I mean, it's not massive, but they're big. So it needs a little room to sit in and it sits slightly off center. You know, you technically almost always have someone, even if they're ambidextrous, you're going to have someone who was, uh, had some sort of dominance, most percentage of people in the population, right-hand dominant. So you'll have more muscular structure on those sides, or you might have a, a muscular imbalance, which is somebody, you know, has a muscular imbalance of, they broke their ankle, so they were in a boot, and now they're walking with a little bit of a limp. So one hip gets raised a little bit, and thus the other hip has to compensate slightly before that limp function, and then they end up with a tight shoulder on the opposite side because of the fascial system and how it interconnects things. The fascia system is what allows tensegrity ha to happen and this constant muscle firing process to find the balance structures while everything is under tension, and thus we can stand upright. Without the fascial system, no mammal can stand upright. We would just collapse into one compressed, as tightly as compressed as possible, ball of skeletal system, muscle system, and all other fleshes. That would happen without the fascial system. And we didn't know about it until somebody figured it out. And now we're just learning about how it actually functions and how it actually works. Same thing with the lymphatic system and how lymph 
nodes work in the, in the lymph system and how that works with the immune system and how the nervous system is connected to all of it and controls things and the 13 cranial nerves and the integumentary system about how skin and hair grow and how skin has these layers and there's the epidermis and dermis and how it has separate functions and the exocrine glands about how the sweat glands work and then even how your erector pili muscles work, which are your, when people say they get goosebumps or they get, you know, when your skin gets clenched up, those are your erector pili muscles. You have thousands of them. They're everywhere. They're the smallest muscle, but the most of them. You have the cardiovascular system about how the heart pumps and the arteries and someone had to figure all this out. And once we did, we created the Western medicine system. Even before that, we created the traditional, what we consider the traditional medicine systems of Chinese traditional medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. Even before that, we had the alchemical medical system of creating pulse, uh, poultices to put on wounds and tinctures and all these other different things that we would give people. Without this knowledge, we weren't able to create systems to help save lives or to help make lives a little easier, a little better. All of it started with an understanding of the human body, anatomy and physiology. So as much as I like to, you know, go on and on about these things, what I hope you take away from this is that the understanding of this body we all live in and we all walk around in that has commonalities which is why we could create a system because there was common things. The flesh is common. The skin is common. The color doesn't fucking matter, people. But the skin is common. The genetics thereof is what matters. I'm going to side tangent. Give me two minutes here. Talking about skin color is important in only one place. Medicine. Other than that, it doesn't fucking matter, right? The reason skin color is important in medicine is because skin color denotes some sort of genetical marker. And that genetical marker is going to have a polyphenol type. And that polyphenol type can tell us a lot of things about the individual. And we specifically need to, in the medicine system, keep that understanding that Systems of color of skin are important because we can't treat a white person like we treat a black person, like we treat an Asian person, like we treat an Indian person, like we treat any different color genetic melatonin reaction because they're different because it's a different genetical marker and genetics make up a specific type of medicine, specifically when we talk about epigenetics and those are important to keep a factor of other than that. Skin color doesn't fucking matter. But skin color does matter in medicine because we have to stop treating the white person like they're the base value. Because no other medicine system does that. In fact, if you go to traditional Chinese medicine, they don't see the same markers because they look at it differently. Or the Ayurvedic medicine system where skin color really matters because they do a lot of diagnosis through that. Bruising in a black person looks much different than bruising in a Caucasian person, in a white person. Bruising in any one of the polyphenol uh, subsets of, you know, Asia or just, you know, the Eastern world is different than the 
Middle Eastern world is different than they're all different and bruising will look differently. So if you're using that as a diagnostic option, you need to understand that the genetical marker is simply just a melatonin reaction. And that melatonin reaction though, makes up for different things. Thickness of skin, absorption of vitamin D, histamine responses when it comes to topical irritants and or topical creams. So it has its place there. That's the only place it has a place. That ran over, back to what I was talking about. The fact that long ago, the Egyptians were dissecting bodies and, and, and writing down understandings were all very similar. Anatomy and physiology is a system because we all share the commonalities. And although I just went on that little rant about skin color and how it's only important in medicine and that it does have its important in medicine, importance in medicine, we share so much similarity that it's a small piece. But the fact is we have hearts and we have kidneys and spleens and we have livers and we have colons and we have smaller and we have the small intestine and the large intestine and we have the nervous system and we have vertebrae and humeruses and femurs and we have erector pili muscles and radiuses and ulnas and we have extensors and flexors and we have adductor hallucises and we have occipitals and we have hamstrings and the erector spinae group and we have gastrox and soleuses and the patellar ligament which becomes the kneecap and the, or the patella, we, ha- we all have these things and they're all similarities, commonalities. So we have a system known as the human body. And throughout all of history, we have written down our findings on it so that we could better create worlds or this world to better suit us or have better functions therein. And that is the world of mentality. That is the world of mind. And this is the mind-body connection that we have spent a very long time as a societal group figuring out our bodies. And even in some cases, re-engineering systems from what we found in our bodies to use in the world around us. It's the understanding of the body that allows us all sorts of different invention and creation. And just looking at Da Vinci's work, I talked about it, about how around 1489, Da Vinci started writing down his findings and drawings on the human system. He then takes that and creates a whole plethora of invention around the articulation of how the human body works. Things from, you know, fulcrums and, and, and different functional pieces of that and then then takes that understanding and what I think a lot of people don't often realize about da Vinci's inventions is the human piece of them. A lot of da Vinci's inventions are meant for a human to interact with them because he studied the human body. He had a great understanding of how the human body worked all the way back in the 1400s, early 1500s. And thus we were able to come up with these fantastical inventions 
that were meant for a human to interact with them. Buckminster Fuller created architecture to suit the human. In fact, in, in Utopia or Oblivion, the prospects for humanity, he writes about how we create a world for humans compared to creating a world not for humans. I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying that as I usually oversimplify things, but Ida Rolf, she created a whole system of, of what some people consider an integrative medicine piece, not integrative medicine as a whole, but a piece to integrative medicine revolving around her understanding of the fascist system and its work with the rest of the body and then creating a system to work with that to make a better health structure, a better human body. But all sorts of invention, we can see the commonplace of how the human system works with the world around it. Because that's what we do as, as bodies. So I want to take the as above, so, so below approach here and have people look at a better, getting a better understanding of their bodies and the health structures thereof to better understand their mental health. Because yes, if you are in chronic pain every day, getting an understanding of that pain, how it works and why it's affecting you or how it's affecting you. Remember, I don't like to ask why questions, but in health, it's sometimes good to ask why. Because you do want the subjective over the objective sometimes. You want both. It's always a good plan in the health world to have both subjective and objective. I want to know how the client's feeling because it tells me things. <laughs> um, and I'm not a health practitioner. But when I, f again, this is anecdotally, but in my practice, and I have thousands of hours in massage, when I can correlate an understanding of the human body to the therapeutic work I'm doing with someone, it, it ends with better results. It gets better results. And as a massage therapist, a massage practitioner, really a body worker, that's what I'm most considered, licensed massage therapist who practices body work, I get the best results with that understanding that that the person gets a better understanding of their body because in my eyes, at least, and I find this to be true about most medicine. I don't heal anyone. I don't heal anyone. I don't fix anyone. I do none of that. I simply remind the other human system that my human system's working on where the problems are. And then I let its functions, its 11 human, its 11 systems, major systems go to work. I allow the inflammation system through the immune and uh, lymphatic system along with the endocrine system to, and the nervous system to create an understanding of, Hey, there's an issue here. Okay. Let's send in inflammation. Let's get fluid into the area. Let's heat it up um, and check on what is happening with why there might be some stagnant issues in this area with uh, adhesions, why, you know, okay, these muscles are adhesed here. We need to get fluid in there, break up that adhesion. And then we need to go through and collect all that. And, you know, let's work with the nervous system on getting the muscular system to relax a little bit. Oh, this muscular system is pulling a little bit too hard on the skeletal system, part of the skeletal system, creating this imbalance. 
which is doing this, that, or the other thing. It's all connected. That's what the fascial system teaches us, that it's all connected. Remember, in the end, I usually bring things full circle. So when I learned about the fascial system, I learned that all these things are connected. I then took that and I applied it to the mental space, which I probably in the next episode, I'm going to get into the mind. But first, we need to get this understanding of the body because it can give us a better understanding of our mental health state. And again, going back to the example I started with, if you're in constant everyday pain, if you get a better understanding of how your body works, maybe you can solve that pain. Or maybe you can lessen that pain and just have a better, we and commonly referred to as quality of life. That's the, that's the catchphrase in today's society with the Western medicine system. And most medicine systems is get a better quality of life. Well, if you get a better understanding of your body, it's easier to get that change of quality of life. It's easier to understand the doctors and what they're talking about. It's easier to maybe find other options. Maybe you can go to the integrated medicine person. Maybe you can go to the holistic healer. Maybe you can just come see the massage therapist for that nagging pain you've had in your shoulder forever that no one can figure out. Just like I talked about in the self episode, episode 21, about how there's all these tools out there that we kind of shun or put aside like tarot and astrology and all these different tools that maybe can give us a little bit more self-awareness, a better, better understanding of ourselves. Getting a better understanding of the body gives us a better understanding of the mental health landscape we live in. Because if you're constantly sick, if you're constantly feeling illness, you're outside of homeostasis. And homeostasis is where our bodies want to be. It's where our minds want us to be. It's, it's the balanced structure to be in homeostasis. Once we're outside of homeostasis, it's known as disease. That is the definition of disease, is anything that's causing us to be outside of homeostasis is a disease. So if we get an understanding of why we're outside of that homeostasis by having a better understanding of the body, we can better, not just, I don't want to say self-diagnose, but understand more and get better results because we have a better understanding. If you don't know the alphabet, you probably can't put words together. If you can't put words together, you can't really have a vocabulary. And if you don't have a vocabulary, it's kind of tough to have a conversation. So if you don't have an understanding of the body and how it works, even just base level, you can't have a vocabulary to converse with the professionals who are the ones who will hopefully help you in your adventure. I guess it's a poor term. Um, in your journey to find homeostasis. So if you're suffering from, remember, I'm not a doctor. This is not doc, medical advice. Cannot diagnose or prescribe. Take everything I said with a grain of salt. I say that disclosure probably a hundred times a day. So I'm saying it on the podcast. If you don't understand the systems of the body and you have a, um, um, I'm going to try to pick a, an easy one, but there's no real easy ones. If you have an autoimmune disease of any sort, not having an understanding of the inflammation response of the human system is not doing you any, it's not doing you any good. It's not necessarily doing any harm, but if you get an idea of how the, um, how the body uses inflammation, you can better understand how that autoimmune disease is interacting. So if you do have an autoimmune disease and you get an understanding of the inflammation response, 
by fighting that inflammation response, the, the negative inflammation response, or keeping it tamped down, you might get better control of your autoimmune disease. If you know that eating this food creates swelling in your digestive tract and that flares up your autoimmune disease, understanding the faculties of why that happens can give you a better understanding of not just, oh, I just can't eat bread because I have a poor response to gluten. Instead, you can get a better understanding of, oh, okay, really heavily processed glutens, which require my body to produce more of an acid in the stomach to break that down, then causes an inflammation response in the stomach lining because I've created too much acid to have to break down that white um, processed flour and thus creates an inflammation response which flares up my lupus or flares up my fill-in-the-blank autoimmune disease can give you an understanding maybe of, okay, so it's not that I just have to eliminate all glutens. I just need to be very particular of the glutens I eat. So maybe I can try a heritage grain that might not need the necessity to create such a high acid level so I don't have that inflammation response. And thus, I get to eat the pasta that will make me feel better mentally because I really just want some effing pasta snowball down the hill, okay? The reason I use that example is because I find, anecdotally, remember, I'm not a doctor. Just throwing some things out there to make you think about. People who have quote-unquote celiac disease or an autoimmune disease that flares up when they eat gluten and thus they think they have a gluten allergy, go on their holiday to the Mediterranean and all of a sudden they can eat all the pasta they want. They're like, what the hell? I'm allowed to eat bread? I went to the I went to France and I was allowed to eat a baguette. Why? Or I went to Greece and I was allowed to have a pasta dish or I was in Italy and, you know, semolina was fine because these are heritage grains. And the reality is most celiac disease and most gluten allergies in the United States of America come from the over-modification of the wheat product that we grow here. And the reason there is because wheat takes a while to grow. And used to we used to have what's called long stock wheat, which is wheat that would grow to the height of a human, it, you know, very tall or four to five feet. And it took a long time to grow. So what we did is we genetically modified it, GMOs, to grow shorter and quicker and thus we modified it so much that the plant had to protect the flower uh, or the, fl the, the flower grain essentially the, the wheat grain had to grow so quickly that it put so much energy into protecting that grain that it created an outside shell that when we broke down and created flour out of it was harsher on the stomach because we needed to produce more acid to break down that more fortified wheat thus inventing essentially celiac and gluten allergies. Now, yes, it is completely possible that you do have a true genetical modifier that makes you just allergic to starches or grains and these types of things. But anecdotally, I can tell you there's a lot of people that go and they do that Mediterranean trip and they go to Italy or they go to the Mediterranean and all of a sudden they're allowed to eat the bread, they're allowed to eat the pasta. And that's because they come from heritage grains, which aren't modified and thus grow naturally and don't require such a high level of stomach acid to break down. 
and those people have no problem eating them and it doesn't give them a flare-up or it gives them a very minor flare-up that's really not that dangerous and really doesn't affect their life that much and really just has a better mental aspect because they get to eat the fucking pasta they want to eat because that makes them feel good. I can go on and on and on and on about this stuff. The amount I've learned about the human system is never-ending and just continues to grow and grow and grow, and it's already at a level that I'm just so astonished when I look back and think about the things I've learned about the human system and how it's changed not only my outlook but my ability to interact with others, specifically through my practice of massage therapy and how I can get results that people say their physical therapist had no idea about or their doctor. I don't blame their physical therapist. They have a bunch of other shit they got to worry about and figure out. And they have a specific set of guidelines they have to work within for their insurance. In massage, it's, it's, it's pretty hard to hurt somebody because we're, we're not trying to. And we go to extensive lengths not to hurt people by refusing service when necessary or working inside of constraints of a medical condition. We're very careful with that. That's why massage therapy insurance is pretty low because we have a very small malpractice rate because we're always very careful about what we're doing. In fact, most malpractice cases in physical therapy have nothing to do with the fact that someone hurts someone physically. It's more to do with the sexual harassment suit or a bad draping or you know just a, a bad product of therapy. And that comes down to a poor therapist, not them trying to do harm or doing harm physically. All that being said, this all comes from my understanding of the human body which is where I get the idea of, holy shit, all medical systems have just been a better, longer study of the human system, and it's constantly getting better and updated, and we're moving farther and farther along and getting more and more information over and over and over. But we have to be careful, again, like I've talked about many times before, of giving the collective the power over the individual, which is why to get a better control over a better understanding of your mental health and to gain more self-awareness, it's a really good idea to study the human body. Specifically, if you have a condition that's causing you mental strife, be it an autoimmune disease or just chronic pain, being able to articulate that or understand that, you can then maybe find solutions which is what real medicine does in my eyes. Real medicine is the is finding solutions to core problems. Unfortunately, that's my differentiation with the Western medical system, that they're not really looking for that. They would like you to continue to be sick because if you're not sick, they don't get paid. And that comes down to most insurances and big pharmaceutical. They can go fuck themselves. I'm totally okay with saying that. They would probably come after me and try to cancel me for it. They can go fuck themselves again. But I should probably start watching my language around here. Anyway, that idea can change your perspective of mental health. If you can find a solution or a regular, a regular maintenance that provides you some sort of relief to get through your day. I used to try to find the most core thing I could with massage therapy. And I realized that as much as I can do that, and as much as I can try to help the person's system find a fix for that core problem, if it's a repetitive stress situation, there isn't a solution until that repetitive stress goes away. 
So instead, I'm the band-aid that gets that person through their week, their month, three months. I try to get as far out as possible, but at some point in time, that's going to come back. And unless they can change that, which a lot of times they can't because that's what pays the mortgage, then, okay, we just find, then we start to work on what's the, what's the quickest route to get you in and out for the cheapest amount of money. That's the answer until you can retire or until you can change that position or get those stress levels down or not have to do that repetitive action so much. That's the answer. Not just keep coming back, come in every day. I'll take care of you. Yeah, we'll make you feel But No, that's not the answer. Or just take this fucking pill and go away. That's not the answer. And that comes from educating the individual, educating myself and others, and you educating yourself on the human body and how it works. Just start with one system. Just if you have a digestive issue, if you have a regular pain in the, a muscle somewhere, if you have a nervous tick, if you have, um, you know, just anything. If you think you have a hormonal imbalance, start learning about the endocrine system. But start with the 11 systems, cardiovascular, digestive, endocrine, and tegumentary, which includes the exocrine system, immune and lymphatic, muscular, nervous, renal or urinary, reproductive, respiratory, and skeletal. Those are the big 11. One of them will lead you in the right direction. Remember the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowing those will give you the wisdom of where to look. Because it gets super deep from there. Every system has its own subsystems and different nuances. And this person said that, and this person said that, and this research shows this, and this research shows that. But we all agree that there's these 11 systems. So just having the wisdom of those, knowing where to look for those and the different pieces of information there, gets you started in the right direction. And then maybe, yeah, you can come up with a solution to that nagging problem that's causing you strife. And to be honest, anecdotally, maybe find a a, a better solution to that problem that's causing you financial distress because the Western medicine system and all fucking insurance is just nickel and diming the shit out of you so that you can't even afford your mortgage anymore because your goddamn insulin is so much money. That's why the, the... Learning about the body is super important because maybe you can learn, oh, this is when we're talking about a um, insulin issue, if it's, you know, type uh, one or two diabetic or an insulin dependent diabetic, this is both a digestive and endocrine system issue. And if I learn more about the digestive system and learn more about the endocrine system and then learn some things about the nervous system and unfortunately there's a couple more systems in there yet too but that one's a complicated one but if you can start to get the pieces of that information together and then get part of the renal information you can learn about the correct systems that maybe maybe and I'm not promising anything here and I'm not saying this is exactly what you should do but maybe you can put together a program that allows for you to control those responses more and then make you less, less. Let's say you, okay. I would like to say that you could completely reverse diabetes, but 
I'm not allowed to say that, so I'm not going to say that because that's something I would actually get in trouble for. I'm not a doctor. But maybe become less insulin dependent, and thus your insulin bill goes down because you don't need as much of it because you can control those functions more. And then you can tell the big pharmaceutical companies to F off because it costs like 10 cents to make like 100 gallons of insulin. That's not the actual figure. It's a really small number though. Insulin, making insulin costs fucking nothing. And they charge a shitload for it. And it's fucking horrible. It's morally and ethically debased. And to be honest, they should all just go to jail. They should just, they should just be all sat down and said, were you a part of this? Go to jail. Were you a part of this? Go to jail. Were you a part of this? Go to jail. Because it's horrible. We absolutely have the production means and ability to create insulin at a fair price where the techs get paid, the uh, production teams get paid, and the CEOs get a little check so that they can go on fucking vacation in Ibiza and jerk each other off. Everybody can get paid. That's fine. I get it. You know, capitalism, whatever. I like people getting money so they can go do things. Totally fine with that. But egregious amounts, not okay with. Time for that to end. And that ends when we all come up with this knowledge. So yes, this is a little bit of a dual-fold rant here. I want you to come up with more self-awareness by understanding your body more. I want you to come up with better mental health practices and understand mental health better by understanding your body more. But I also want to bitch about the systems that are in place now because they are not in your best interest. They are not producing more self-awareness. In fact, they're stripping you of it because they're telling you, no, 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 we know, we know, we know better than you. We know more. That's, we know more than you do. Just listen to us. Nope. That's not the right answer. That's not real self-awareness. Self-awareness is questioning everybody and acting like they don't know anything about you because you know about you. And then finding the correct sources of information to trust and, and use but that's self-awareness. And then they're also creating terrible mental health situations because they are bankrupting individuals due to medical conditions that are completely solvable, completely treatable within normal financial means, but they don't care about you. They care about their paychecks and they care about being better than you by having more money than you and making better decisions than you because they think that's their given right, which is bullshit. So, Better understanding in that will bring better mental health understanding across the board. That's just my personal opinion. Take it all with a grain of salt. Again, I'm not a medical practitioner. I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose or prescribe. I'm not a professional in anything, really. I'm just a massage practitioner who's learned some things along the way. And one of the things I learned about was the body, the human body, the real, the material world we live in, that human system and how it works. And it has given me much more power over my own personal self-awareness and mental health than just about anything else I've studied. But again, it's not maybe the best part to start with. It's a kind of like a mid ground, a middle area thing. So if you're in that area or if you're soon to be, or eventually will be, which I think everyone can get to somewhere in the laundry list, I know it's a long list to learn about, but somewhere in that laundry list, I think it's a good idea to put the, Put the body on the list there to, to learn about, to, to get a better understanding. Specifically start with, just start learning about what the different 11 
major systems are. Learn what the cardiovascular system does. And, you know, wait a little while and then learn what the digestive system does. And, again, maybe start with the one that's most prudent to you. If you're having issues with digestive issues, if you're having hormonal issues, if you're having muscular issues, if you're, you know, maybe a, an athlete or you're working out a lot or you're really into fitness and you're getting aches and pains and soreness, maybe learn about the muscular system. You know, if, if you have osteoporosis, learn about the, the bone, the skeletal system first. Um, if you have asthma, learn about the respiratory system first. If you know you have, uh, if you have alopecia or if you have rosacea, learn about the uh, tegumentary and the exocrine system first. If uh, uh, I don't know, if you have congenitive, if you have congenitive heart failure or congenitive heart disease, learn about the cardiovascular system. <laughs> you know, any one of those things. Uh, just if if you have. An ache and pain somewhere, figure out where to go find an ad book. Be like, all right, the ache and pain is here. What's in that area? Let me learn about those two systems. Don't don't use that as a diagnostic. Be like, all right, you know, let me self-diagnose here. Don't go that crazy. That can cause some mental health issues, get you all riled up and, you know, create too much anxiety. But get an understanding of like, oh, okay, I have a little bit of a pain here. What, what might that be? Let me see what system that might be a part of and go from there. And then, you know, fill in the blanks with the rest of them. And if you, I do find if you start with one of those ones, like, you know, if you start with the respiratory system, you're going to be like, oh, well, the respiratory system directly interacts with the cardiovascular system. And then just, you know, make your way through the list. Eventually, you'll get an understanding of, oh, okay, here's these 11 systems. Here's what they do. And then the next time something comes up, you can either at least... I'm not saying self-diagnosed, but you can at least interact with the healthcare provider better or find a cheaper solution maybe. You know, you can you can start with going to the I'm, I'm I feel okay saying this to be honest. You can start with maybe going to the massage therapist. I'm not trying to tell everybody to go see their massage therapist. But the massage therapist is well enough trained that if you do show up thinking that like Oh, you know what? I've had this pain in my arm. It's just, it's not going away. You know, I'm not really sure what it is. My shoulder is killing me. Blah, 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 blah. And you show up to the massage therapist. The massage therapist is well enough trained to know if you need to go see a doctor or not. But like, if you're there and you show up and you're like, yeah, I keep having this pain. When I go to like lift things above my head here and you know this, or I do this rotation and we're like, oh, that's coracobrachialis runs from the coracoid process with the brachial nerve artery down to the uh, ulna and connects on this side of the elbow here. I'm sorry, down to the, I think it's radius, um, but down to the elbow here and it connects. And that's probably causing you uh, that, that issue there. Or like, oh man, like, you know, my wrist and we know it's carpal tunnel, but it's not really carpal tunnel. And we go, oh. Well, carpal tunnel can actually be fixed by uh, helping break up any adhesions in the extensors and flexors of the forearm that then the extensors and flexors that run through the carpal canal won't swell as much, which pushes pressure on the back of the carpal canal and thus gives you carpal tunnel syndrome. So we can help with that inflammation because technically it's tendonitis, which is itis means inflammation. So it's tendon inflammation and we can help break that up and work with that so that you don't have to go get surgery. Or maybe it is so bad that we recommend you go talk to your orthopedic and go talk to your surgeon. And maybe that's the, that's the route you take. I don't recommend it, 
I'm not allowed to make recommendations and I'm not making recommendations, but I'm saying if you have the understanding, you can better then interact with all the systems that are available. And that's what I talked about back in episode 12 when I talked about systems is when you build a level of self-awareness and, and, and control of the, the system in which you're working in, which you are working in the human body, once you have a better understanding of those systems or a system, then you can better interact with other systems. And from there, you'll be able to build your own system. And I know a lot of people, specifically massage therapists, physical therapists, and even physical trainers, who once they come up with this understanding of nurses, once they come up with the self-awareness pieces of understanding the human body, they're able to create a system that helps their mental health, that helps them deal with the day-to-day bullshit, the aches and pains, this, that, the other thing. And instead of having to like panic, they can just kind of go, all right, I got to grab this. Oh, I'm getting a little sick. I can feel it coming on. I know. Oh, it feels like it's, it's upper respiratory or, oh, it feels like it's, it's, it's bacterial related or, you know, you just get a better understanding. We naturally do this through progression of just getting older. And, you know, you get the old people who are like, oh, it's just age and aches and pains. I always get the client comes in, you know, 55 years old or 55, 60, somewhere around there. And they're like, ah, it's just, it's just old age. I know. You get the aches and old, the aches and pains of old age. They know, you know, they know their bodies. It just comes with age, you know, and that's a thing. You just do it. But that's self-awareness. That's mental health. So that's my rant about going and, you know, learning about the body. Again, start with the 11 major systems, pick the one that's most prudent to you to start with maybe, and just go from there. Just, just listen to your body. Eventually, eventually this turns into, and I'm, I'll get into that when I get into the, when I talk about the mind, um, probably in the next episode, but it'll be in one of the coming episodes. I'm always planning something along the lines. I try to keep it in some straight trajectory, but when we learn the, you know, different pieces, we can start to learn like, oh, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And and then that's where the mind can take over and we have the translation piece and we can learn about, oh, okay, this is making me feel this way. This is making me feel that way. But it just, it gives us that awareness and it's all just awareness. It's all just self and awareness and thought. And remember, we have all these culmination things of, I talked about all the way back in episode five about relationships. What's your relationship with your body? Are you just beating the shit out of it every day? Cause you probably should learn about it and then, you know, take the steps to make that not a thing. Like I say kind of as a joke, but like CrossFit keeps me in business. All right. You got a lot of people out there doing CrossFit who don't have a good understanding of their body. And then they end up hurting themselves because they just overdid it. Or even the super fit CrossFit athletes that I've worked with. And I've worked with some very, very fit, very prominent CrossFit athletes who are so in it and they do it so often that their body is just in this constant state of stress. And we just have to, you know, we just have to learn to maintain, like we got to get them in and out of that. But that's what they do. They're a CrossFit athlete. Like that's literally what they do. You know, specifically when I work with professional athletes and I've worked with quite a few, I lurked with a lot when I taught martial arts and when I was in the 
uh, fight, you know, when I worked with fighters, everything from Muay Thai specialists to, you know, jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, all sorts of different fighting styles, but fighters specifically, they're not, not going to fight. That's what they do, you know, as a part-time job or some, I worked with one or two full-time fighters. That's what they do. So like, we have to work inside that parameter and to do so, I need to give them the understanding of their body and their trainers even gave them their understanding of their body to understand like, all right, you know, I got a fight coming up. This is where I'm stuck or uh, a better example of that is working with specific types of athletes. Like um, what's a, what would be a good one? Let's, let's get, let's pick a good example here. Uh, gymnasts. Gymnasts are great example. Gymnasts are ridiculous athletes and they have massively high pain tolerances, but working with a gymnast, each gymnast is specialized to a specific, you know, yes, you get all arounders, but usually you see a specific, you know, thing that they're good at. And, you know, if it's the uneven bars, um, the upper body that goes into that, or let's use a better one. Um, uh, the, the rings, parallel rings, it's all upper body. So when they start to get the slightest range of motion issue in their shoulders, they know, they know, and they don't even know what muscle it is because they, they learned about that. And so all they do is they come in and go, Hey man, my, uh, my middle deltoid is sticking just a little bit. Can you take care of that for me? Boom, boom, boom. 15 minutes. They're in and out, throw a little heat on it back onto the gym floor. They go, that's the level of understanding that comes along with all of this. So that's why, you know, it's just a couple of anecdotal things to throw in here at the end. So please go, you know, learn about your body and, and use it to get a better understanding of self, self-awareness, and but mostly to get that, that mental health piece of what's going on and, and what can I do about it? Get control. You know, a lot of this comes down to that idea of control. And, and always remember, don't give your control to the masses. Keep your control to yourself. You are in control of your body. You're in control of your mind. You're in control of your other. We'll get into that at some point. So do of this with what you will. And uh, yeah, 11 major systems, cardiovascular, digestive, endocrine, integumentary, immune, muscular, nervous, renal, reproductive, respiratory, skeletal. Pick one. Go learn about it. Then learn about another one. And somewhere along the lines, if you want to throw the fascial system in there, highly recommend it for any body workers out there, even doctors, practitioners, physical therapists, physical trainers, nursing practitioners. Check out the fascial system. And I'll catch you on the next one when we talk about the mind. Uh, before I forget, because I usually forget about it, even though it sends it in the outro, please go check out taminghindrances.com, specifically the archive where I have all sorts of links to different things. Um, I even think I have Dr. Giambarto linked in there for his work on the fascial system. Um, and I should probably throw Thomas Myers in there now that I'm thinking of it for his work in anatomy and trains, which is fantastic. Maybe I'll, I'll try to throw in some, uh, some anatomy pieces. I have um, Bozeman Sciences in there and he goes over anatomy a lot. You can check that link out. But yeah, please go check out TamingHendrices.com, specifically the archive where we list out a bunch of different things like all of these things that I talked about today. Take care and I'll see you on the next one.
Thanks for listening. Come check us out at taminghindrances.com for show notes, links, resources, and more. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, RSS, or your preferred platform. If you leave us a spiffy review, we might just mention it on the show. Now go be awesome. And just remember to breathe.